From Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Simone Samaluka-Radzins and Kristen Yoder. All right, this is Simone and Kristen with Cannabis Business Minds, and today is an exciting day because we've been so focused on the West Coast of cannabis that often we forget that there's much more beyond just California, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. Yes, there's like... 40-something other states. No, I'm just kidding. But there really are, and it's so funny. And actually, this last month, we've really been focused on doing a piece on frauds in the cannabis industry, so I've been really intrigued about East Coast cannabis. You've been working with NACB and, you know, have a lot more ties. So this guest that we're going to be having on the show is not only a combination of East Coast, West Coast cannabis, but medicine and business. Yes, exactly. His name is Dr. Malik Burnett, and he actually just finished his residency at Johns Hopkins University, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, He's obviously doctors have to do a lot of education and a lot of work. I think he's been doing it for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And not only is he a doctor, he's also incredibly active in the political cannabis scene in DC and that's why we want to bring him on today is to Mm -hmm. find out what is it like to operate in the East Coast in the state's capital I mean in every sense of the form with medical and and political what's gonna be kind of crazy because I mean one thing that I really am intrigued by him is that he really led the way for the the measure that passed 71 and it happened to get 71% of the votes to legalize cannabis yeah super magic and then not only that but he's really 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 cares about kind of transferring over the negative stigma of incarceration with drug policy to actually medicine with drug policy. And so that also is going to be really interesting. We have our awesome guest today, Dr. Malik Burnett, on with us to tell us what's going on with D.C., um, what's going on with what you're working on with cannabis and medicine and policy. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's uh, very cool to be on your show. Excellent. Yeah. Well, let's just jump in. I mean, we've been so focused on West Coast cannabis and we realized that we got to get out of this bubble and realize there's a lot more going on in D.C. on the East Coast and everything like that. So can you just let us know what's happening right now? Like, what are you working on? What's happening in D.C.? Sure, sure. So there's a a lot of things happening on the East Coast. Uh, You know, in D.C., we uh, have legalized cannabis back in 2014. I actually ran the campaign to legalize cannabis uh, with uh, one of my, uh, with when I was working at the Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, and, you know, I was working with a team of local activists uh, whom some of you may be familiar with out there, uh, got by a guy by the name of Adam Eidinger, who uh, is a, a big time stalwart uh, legalizer here in, uh, here in Washington, D.C. And we, uh, we ran a campaign back in 2014, uh, kind of focusing on explicitly the racial justice implications of marijuana prohibition. Mm-hmm. And our campaign was very much uh, centered around, you know, the rationale for legalizing marijuana is to eliminate the, the racial bias in arrests in D.C. So, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with, like, the national statistics on on arrests, and I'm sure you guys have talked about that, but uh, nationally, for, for 
you're four times more likely as a person of color to be arrested for marijuana possession in spite of equal use across race. Yep. Well, in D.C., that number is like eight times. Wow. Uh, you're eight times more likely. And so because of that, we were like, hey, we need to, uh, you know, you make this potential uh, issue of our efforts to legalize marijuana. And so we had a campaign that, you know, had a slogan called Legalization and Discrimination. And I actually have a poster that, you know, we put over on the city that hangs on my wall now. So, so that's pretty cool. Oh, that's really nice. So, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we've had legal legalized um, possession of cannabis since 2014, and what that means is you can uh, grow up to six plants in your home, and you can possess up to two ounces on your person at any point in time. You can give away one ounce for free. Uh, but the challenge is uh, you can't sell cannabis in the district, and that is not uh, you know our very silly way of organizing our laws. Basically. Uh, the District of Columbia is a uh, not a state, unfortunately, and uh, because of that, the District of Columbia is subject to the rules and oversight of the Congress. And the Congress has uh, basically prevented the district from spending any money to continue to regulate uh, Schedule One drugs in the city, and Schedule One drugs are inclusive of marijuana, so the, the city literally can't spend any money to write a law that would allow for the sale of marijuana right now. And so that's why we've got this kind of like de facto legalization with no sales going on. So was, it's kind of a, Yeah, that's really interesting. Was this pre-Trump or post-Trump? This was pre-Trump. This was, uh, you know, in 2014 mm -hmm. uh, when Obama was, you know, well in office. Uh, and so... You know, what ends up happening is you have a number of conservative legislators who have the ability to uh, change provisions within the budget, the U.S. budget. Uh, and I'm kind of simplifying a lot of this for, you know, the sake of conversation. But they can insert amendments into the budget process for the Congress that specifically prohibit uh, you know, the District of Columbia or, you know, Puerto Rico, for example, any U.S. territory or, uh, you know, non-state actor uh, from being able to spend money for certain things. In fact, you know, another example on the opposite side of this is like, uh, which is a topic I'm sure you guys talked about, is the Roarback Reform Amendment, which, you know, provides protection for medical marijuana uh, companies all across the country. That's an amendment to the budget. Uh, that, you know, prevents the Department of Justice from spending any funds to, you know, uh, enforce uh, uh, laws against marijuana companies. Well, much like that, the Congress can pass specific laws to prevent the district from spending any money to uh, legalize sale of marijuana. Wow, that's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, but it's the it's the government the federal government no wonder it doesn't make yeah. much sense but that's interesting do you have medical dispensaries in dc oh, oh yeah we've had medical so we passed our medical marijuana law actually two years after california passed their medical marijuana law in 1998. oh wow so, yeah we've had medical marijuana in washington dc for you know a long time unfortunately Back in 1998, when we passed medical marijuana, the same thing that's happening now happened then. And so the Congress passed a uh, uh, law or an amendment to the appropriations bill called the Bar Amendment, 
which prevented the district from implementing its medical marijuana program until 2012. But we've had medical marijuana dispensaries and cultivators in the District of Columbia since 2012. What about taxes? Do they collect any taxes from the cannabis? Because it doesn't seem like they could, or can they? No, 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 no. Marijuana is, well, actually, um, interestingly, in the district, uh, there is a sales tax on marijuana, um, but there's no, you know, excise tax or prescribed tax for uh marijuana in the district of columbia uh, but there is a general sales tax which applies to everything it's so uh, you know it's so counterintuitive even, even medicines right mm-hmm. like medicines shouldn't be subject to sales tax but that's not how it works here in, in dc don't they want the money the yes. tax oh money? yeah yeah you know? in fact in fact uh you know our own so the dc dc has its own uh treasurer and you know uh chief financial officer and their office did an analysis of uh, the economic impact on legalizing sale of marijuana in the district. Because the, the council, the local government of the district, I want to be clear, wanted to legalize uh, sales. So, you know, they've gone through the rigmarole and all the legislative process of uh, trying to legalize sales. Uh, and they did analysis on it and, you know, uh, in a very conservative estimate, the district would gain $120 million annually to its coffers if they legalize sales. And again, that's a super conservative estimate. Um, so the, the local government wants to do it. Literally, it is the United States federal government that is preventing the district from moving forward on legalizing sales. Wow, it's like the unique territory because a lot, you know, how California, we all know it's federally illegal, but it doesn't really hinder, I guess, this new commerce. But state, right. yeah, but right. in That's because you guys have senators. Yes. You guys have United States senators. We don't wow. have United States senators in the district who can protect our interests. Uh, you know, so we wow. get subject to the whims of a random congressman from Maryland or a random congressman from Louisiana who may just be against uh, marijuana. And so they can write an amendment and it, you know, undermine the ability for us to do what we want to do here in the District of Columbia. But because, you know, that California has two senators, that stuff doesn't happen to you guys. So how, I mean, it was so impressive when we were reading that you guys passed it, your, the ballot with 71%, and I think it was, I don't know what it was called, but like Measure 71, so that was really cool. Yep. And clearly, you're an activist. How do you stay yep. motivated knowing this? Like, how, what do you, like, what's the, you know, I feel the best thing about cannabis activists and just being part of this community is that we don't like to hear no. And we make progress. And we make progress. So what's happening now knowing that this whole big, gorilla is in the room of dc how do you fight that oh yeah no so you got to be really 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 good at writing laws unfortunately the district is full of lawyers uh and so we uh are uh, have a number of creative approaches that we've had to try to combat this um one where and this is like really deep down in the weeds no pun intended um (laughs) Um, where we were working, we wanted to work with the mayor to uh, basically tap into the district's rainy day fund. So every government has a set of rainy day funds that they can tap into for emergency purposes. We basically were trying at one point in time to get the mayor to tap into the rainy day fund to uh, pull down some money so that we could just uh, circumnavigate the ban because the, the congressional ban only lasts 
for a year, right? So they can only ban you from doing things one year at a time. They can't like put this permanent ban on there. And at the time, uh, in 2015-2016, they had not. They had only banned the district from using current fiscal year funds, and so they hadn't banned the district from using rainy day funds. And so we were trying to get the mayor to use rainy day funds to, you know, pass legalized sales. But unfortunately, the mayor was a little bit chicken at the time and didn't want to, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, fight the good fight. Uh, unfortunately, you know, she's not as uh, progressive as, you know, one would hope, even in a city where 71% of the people voted for legalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she wasn't as, as on board. So what we've got now is got another sort of way that we're going to solve this. And it, I think it's a pretty cool solution. Uh, so what we're doing is we're basically going to try to uh, move medical marijuana from a form where you basically have to get a recommendation from the physician to uh, a medicine that you can get over the counter, right? So basically what we're going to do is well, we're trying to pass legislation right now where anyone over the age of 21 can sign an affidavit to... Um, basically state that the use, their use of medical, of cannabis is for medical purposes. So if you sign this affidavit, no matter where you come from, what state you live in, you know, if you're in the District of Columbia, you sign this affidavit, uh, inside of the dispensary stating that you understand all the risks that come with using medical marijuana, that, you know, you understand that it's against federal law, uh, and that you're using it for medical purposes then we will allow you to come in and use medical marijuana in our Oh, that's, uh, and so we're, that's so smart. It makes, it makes medical marijuana over-the-counter, uh, basically. Instead of having to be uh, seen by a D.C. physician and live in the district, you can basically get into the medical marijuana program by, you know, acknowledging all the risks associated with using it, and you're good to go. Interesting. So the difference would be like in Colorado, they have medical and recreational divided, but in the same spot. Mm. And if you have medical, you can go into the medical side. Recreational is more expensive. But you're saying the way you guys would do it is medical. They would all be medical, but recreational or someone who doesn't have an actual doctor's recommendation would still be able to buy cannabis if they are using it for a medical condition. And sign an affidavit. And sign an affidavit. Right. Oh. That's correct. That's yeah. That's correct. So got to be creative, right? Yeah, totally. you got to figure out ways to operate within the rules that you're given and play the cards that you dealt. And so I love that's, it. Uh, that's, that's what we've got coming down the pipeline here. And so, you know, hopefully we'll get it passed by the end of the year this year. And, you know, before you know it, you'll have um, – a very large medical marijuana program that allows anybody in the country to participate. Oh, that's so excellent. Yeah, awesome. That's really awesome. Okay, well, so let us take a break really quick, and when we get back, we're going to talk more about the medical cannabis side. Time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. We get it. Operating in the cannabis industry is tough. It's daunting. And sometimes you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh my God, is there anything for me? 
And the thing is, there is. And we have made it our mission as a company to make your life easy, to be able to figure out where you can participate in the cannabis industry. And we want to help you. And we've got so many things that can do that. We can help you one-on-one. We've got an online course that's eight weeks geared to operating successfully in the cannabis industry. So if you're interested, I'm going to give you an exclusive offer. So email me at Simone at LIV Advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S dot com, and we can give you $500 off your first eight-week course. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by liveadvisors.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. Okay, welcome back. We have Dr. Malik Burnett with us today talking about DC medical cannabis policy. Um, welcome back. Welcome back. So we were welcome. just yeah, we were just talking about just a very creative way to allow more people to have access to cannabis, but you know, you are a doctor and we'd love to know what exactly are you focusing right now with um, with medicine and cannabis. So you obviously wear that social advocate hat very strongly. How do you spend your time between that and medicine? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I, I do that in a number of ways. Um, first uh, and foremost, uh, I am part of an organization which some of your listeners may be familiar with called Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. And this is an organization that you know is uh, based on bringing together physicians uh, from all different types of specialties who believe that, you know, we need to establish effective regulations to support the legislative efforts that are going out uh, and taking place across the country. So effective regulations that protect public health. And so um, I'm a part of that organization, and we work with, uh, you know, other advocates, uh, people from the Marijuana Policy Project, Normal, Drug Policy Alliance, so on and so forth, who are going in and changing laws, uh, we go in and then help them write the regs that come from those laws and make sure that those regs are uh, focused on public health policy and making sure that you're safeguarding uh, everyone who's participating in the new cannabis economy that emerges. With, you know, people on the opposite side of uh, the you know legalization effort are always saying, oh, we shouldn't legalize cannabis because 
you know, we're going to have the emergence of the next big tobacco, which I think is incredibly uh, short-sighted and myopic statement. Um, but, you know, in order to, you know, further point that out, we figured why not get physicians involved in the regulatory process so that we can take the lessons that we've learned from, you know, alcohol and, and uh, tobacco uh, industry development and apply those into the cannabis space so that, you know, ultimately we can create a safer environment for everybody and take away even more of the unfounded concerns that, you know, people on the opposite side have. So that's one way that I uh, am involved uh, on the physician front. Uh, on a number of other fronts, I'm focused on, you know, cannabis research uh, and looking at figuring out ways to better understand uh, how people use cannabis in their daily lives, whether that be for medical purposes or recreationally. Uh, right now, if you look at the state of research on cannabis use in the United States, it's kind of uh, basically reconciled to, you know, two major, you know, epidemiological st studies. Uh, the National Household Survey on Drug Use and Health, which is put out by SAMHSA or the Substance uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or um, the Monitoring the Future study, which is put out by the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Uh, both of them basically ask simple questions about cannabis use, so simple that you can't really learn anything from the questions. <laughs> uh, and the, the questions are, you know, have you used cannabis in the last 30 days, and have you used cannabis in the past 12 months? Those are the and only questions? That, Go ahead. Those are the only questions. Sorry to interrupt, but those are the only ones. Yeah, those are the only questions that have so far been asked in a national survey, right? And so, you know, why I'm like looking at or I'm talking about it in this framework is because, you know, national surveys are the best way to get the most people uh, in into a survey, and it's the best way to understand what's actually happening in the public. Uh, and so, right now, on the national surveys. Those are the only two questions that are really being asked in, a, in an intentional sort of way. Uh, and so what, uh, what you know, I want to do, and, you know, this is in conjunction with a number of other colleagues from around the country who are working on this effort is create a better set of questions to ask uh, people so that, you know, researchers can understand how cannabis is being used in, in the country. And so, for example, uh, you know, you could ask the question, how much cannabis do you put into your joint, right? This is a question that's highly variable from person to person, right? Like, no one really knows how much cannabis you're using when somebody says, oh, yeah, I smoked a joint, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's not an easy question to answer. But, you know, if we ask the question, then we can at least get an understanding of how variable that number is, right? Like, how, how many grams. Uh, are people putting into their joint on average, right? And we can have a range around which we can work. Another question is, you know, how many hits or how many times do you uh, uh, inhale off the joint during one smoking session? Do you, like, hit the joint 10 times mm -hmm. before you put it down? Do you smoke the whole joint? Do you smoke half? Like, that type of question uh, is possible. Uh, you know, then you can ask all sorts of questions about uh, marijuana-infused products, uh, edibles, all that sort of stuff as well. And so what we're doing is trying to um, 
get a baseline understanding of cannabis use. And once we do that, then we can, you know, understand a little bit more about how people use cannabis in conjunction with other medications, for example. Do you use, do you find that you actually use less opioids or opioid-based medications when you're using your cannabis? How much? Like, you know, that sort of stuff. So uh, focusing on those types of research questions is another area where uh, I'm looking at from a medical standpoint. Yeah. Uh, because if we can understand those baseline questions, then that allows us to further the research agenda that much more. That's a really great idea. My only question is, how does anyone remember how many hits they take off of a joint? And what about 27% THC versus 17% THC? Or what about the terpenes in each strain? I think that's been the biggest problem with research is you're dealing with people that smoke cannabis, so that might be a little mm-hmm. hard for them to remember the specifics of things. But also, the more we learn with science, the more difficult it is to be like, I don't know if it's like a terpene-dominant effect. Is it THC? Yeah. Is it CBD? Like, But maybe it's like, but if you think about it, what Malik was saying is like, there's only two questions right now. So if oh, you I can totally even ask, it. but it's so true. And because we're only at one, I mean, we're talking to you, a doctor, but we interviewed um, Jeffrey Raber, a PhD, and he told us like, oh, cannabis is like less than 1% of like there's understanding of the science behind it. So many there's different There's so many different variables. Exactly. It must be like a, a doctor's dream. Or when you need to like <laughs> right. keep them in there. You know, have you thought of reaching out to dispensaries that sell joints by, like, uh, three-quarters gram or something because they sell a pack of, like, an eighth in joints or something? Mm -hmm. If they would have that kind of information, or have you... Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I think that that's absolutely, uh, you know, yet another avenue which we can explore and actually some... It's it's very much in line with some of the research that I've, I've been doing in the past where we looked at here in D.C. with a very, like, you know, reasonably sized population, uh, the historical purchasing patterns of that population. And then, you know, we wanted, when we got, because we had all that data from the dispensaries, the data, the dispensaries keep records of everything that everyone purchases, right? So that's a, in and of itself one data set. And then we have the data set for the, uh, you know, patient's conditions. And what I was curious about at the time was, are there any patterns between purchasing and disease conditions, right? So do people who have multiple sclerosis buy the same types of cannabis as a group relative to people who have like HIV or cancer, right? And so so those those are the types of questions that I think you can get, start to to answer when you have, you know, regulated sales. But I mean, that's that's more of a population-based sort of question, which I, you know, think has, plenty of research opportunities in and of itself. Uh, uh, but the, the questions that we were talking about before are just trying to get a better understanding of, regardless of what type of cannabis you use, how do you actually use cannabis? Like, you have to yeah. kind of start with the basic building block to yeah. get basic understanding of what it is when we're talking about cannabis use for the average person before you can even start to add in all the extra layers of complexity around cannabis strains, terpene profiles, cannabinoid profiles, and all that sort of stuff, right? Because, you know, it can easily get super complicated with a whole bunch of moving variables. (laughs) And if you don't have baseline variables to kind of ground the conversation, 
then you just get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, cont- I live in a state of overwhelm. Of cont- data analysis yeah, paralysis. Yeah, there's just too much to learn. Though, if you continue to ask why, like I'm actually reading this book of like why, the, like I forget, it's, it says it said why, but it's the whole point of you should really, whenever you're thinking about something, if you're leading or if you're in business, is always to question, like, why are we doing that? Like, what are we solving? What not? Yeah, and we tend to always ask uh, why to... Simone is a... She'll ask me why, like, seven <laughs> times before I catch on to what she's doing. Yeah. But it is pretty helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. It helps you guys clarify your thoughts, though, right? Yes. Exactly. It, it gets you at that baseline to really understand, like, what you should be focused on, and it just makes sense. I mean, that's business but that translates to science that translates to life like you gotta really peel back those layers to figure out like okay what is it that we really want to do or in you know the object object of the study one thing that i'm curious about before we take our break is the fact so i was i actually haven't even told you Kristen. so like last week i just randomly ran into somebody and i told him i worked in the cannabis industry and he's like oh the cannabis industry, you know, I was like, why are you so against this? And then I was like, you do know that we have like this endocannabinoid system and all these things. And so Malik, I'm curious, you being a doctor, you know, just f- finishing, um, I believe it was your residency. Mm-hmm. You Are you guys talking about cannabis at all during studying yet? Or like, how does that discussion even happen with the mainstream universities right now? Is that, is it yeah, so I think that that's from yet another area where there's got to be a lot more work done. Um, you know, you, you, you made mention of the endocannabinoid system. Um, that is not a topic that is covered in medical education uh, at all. Uh, you know, you, you talk about all the other sorts of systems, the respiratory system, the circulatory system, the nervous system, mm-hmm. you know, what, what have you. Um, but there's no real discussion around uh, the endocannabinoid system, and that's probably largely because there is, uh, you know, a general stigma, as you just talked about when you told that person that you're working in the cannabis industry. There's just a general stigma around cannabis that's still very real, um, and, and you know, the, the medical community is no different. But, uh, you know, as we get more states to change their laws, then, you know, uh, we'll have to be more intentional about incorporating this sort of educational topic into general medical education. What I can say positively is that, you know, because states have been bringing on these medical cannabis laws, you're seeing at least the beginnings of a lot more continuing medical education, which is something that physicians have to do after they finish their training. You have to have a certain number of continuing medical education credits per year to maintain your, you know, physician certification. And so you're seeing a lot more uh, continuing medical education classes being offered that talk about uh, cannabis, the endocannabinoid system, the laws that surround cannabis and whatnot. So slowly but surely the tide is turning and, you know, we just got to be uh, continue to be intentional about uh, keeping the moving ball forward. So it's not part of a medical training education whatsoever. Cannabis is never brought up, the endocannabinoid, never like in your entire training? No, never. Wow. Never. Isn't that insane? And it, insane? it's interesting, too, before you take a break, is my stepfather has atrial flutter and glaucoma. Mm-hmm. And I know that THC mm-hmm. is good for glaucoma, but THC mm-hmm. is bad for atrial flutter. 
And my problem is, is I don't know who he should talk to because his doctor doesn't know anything about cannabis. And honestly, no offense to lots of cannabis doctors, but I don't trust them with my stepfather's atrial flutter. Because we're at 1% of science. Well, I mean, even this is in Nevada. Mm -hmm. It's now recreational and it's medical. But even then, unless... I mean, I feel like it should be required of all doctors in a recreational or medical state that they have to learn about the cannabis. Otherwise, how are they, how do the cannabis patients getting treated by medical professionals instead of just a guy who writes a doctor's recommendation? That's a point. You know? Is that something that you're working on, Malik, with um, the, what I wrote it down in my notes, but the organization that you mentioned with the doctors? Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. Doctor, yeah. yeah, no, that's not. That, so it's it's very interesting. Um, given that Doctors for Cannabis Regulation is a relatively new organization, we just um, folk decided to focus exclusively on uh, uh, legalization as a topic. Um, you know, as we grow uh, over time, I mean, Doctors for Cannabis Regulation is about two years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we grow over time, I think you know we'll continue to expand into uh, you know, medical issues, um, but the rate of legalization, the cha- rate of change in policy around legalization, you know, kind of dictated our, our decision-making process towards focusing on it as a, a thing, and, and, you know, there's a lot more opportunity to kind of shape um, regulatory policy around that to be very much public health focused, and so that's that's where we've decided to start, but, um you know, ultimately, I think we'll we'll definitely start delving into some of these issues around, you know, ensuring that uh, physicians are getting exposure to the endocannabinoid system and understanding more of the, you know, cannabinoid science, whether that be at the medical school level or in, uh, you know, uh, post-secondary sort of training. So, yeah, it's, it's on the agenda, but it's not something that, that um, you know, we are working on at this very second. Yeah. Too much work to do. I know, there really is. Only enough people, just too much work. Yep. Yes. All right, let's hold on for one break, and then we're going to get back with the speed round. All right. Time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. We get it. Operating in the cannabis industry is tough. It's daunting. And sometimes you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh my God, is there anything for me? And the thing is, there is. And we have made it our mission as a company to make your life easy, to be able to figure out where you can participate in the cannabis industry. And we want to help you. And we've got so many things that can do that. We can help you one-on-one. We've got an online course that's eight weeks geared to operating successfully in the cannabis industry. So if you're interested, I'm going to give you an exclusive offer. So email me at simone at liveadvisorsadvisors.com and we can give you $500 off your first eight-week course. Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com. 
Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by liveadvisors.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back with Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Kristen Yoder and Simone Samaluka Radsons. And our guests. And our guests, the lovely Dr. Malik Burnett. Burnett. All right, so the speed round, don't get nervous or anything like that. We're just asking you three questions that happen to be our favorite. Um, So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So what's one thing that motivates you? Meaning, what it, what is it that keeps you getting up every day, driving onto your mission? Uh, you know, I think uh, what motivates me is, is seeing progress around, uh, you know, changing arrest patterns um, for the police, uh, minimizing the uh, interactions, at least as it relates to cannabis, around uh, police and people of color uh, is, you know, my, a major motivating factor. And, and so working on uh, policies and opportunities to, to solve that problem is what gets me up in the morning. Awesome. So where do you see yourself in one year from now? Uh, where I see myself one year from now, uh, probably further down the road uh, on uh, a number of the projects that I have from a research standpoint, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, but, you know, doing what I'm doing now, but just more and, uh, and better. Excellent. Good answer. If someone's just getting into the industry, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Uh, this is uh, something that I tell every single person that I talk with uh, about entering the industry you have to be uh, 100% certain in understanding um, the rules and regulations that surround the medical cannabis space, right? There, not only will that help you better tailor and focus your business approach, but it'll also keep you out of trouble uh, with the law because, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, depending on your perspective, ignorance of the law in and of itself is not an excuse. For breaking the law, and if you end up breaking the law inside the cannabis space, that will, um, at least because of the way the policy is written right now, limit your ability to be successful uh, in future markets, right? And so being intentional about understanding what is allowed and what's not allowed uh, will only serve to ensure that your business is able to survive over the long term. Absolutely agreed. And also, if you can't deal with it now, like you're not going to succeed in the industry. So you mm-hmm. should definitely get familiar with what you're getting into. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I knew you were going to be a really good interview about DC. And um, yes, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. Thank you so much for joining us on Cannabis Business Minds. Uh, thanks so much, you guys, for having me. Hopefully, we can do it again soon. Definitely. Absolutely. All right, so this is our recap with Cannabis Business Minds, and we just had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Malik Burnett uh, about D.C. politics, medicine, and we're going to start a kind of analysis of that. I think I'll start. 
I, I, so I'd known enough about kind of the DC movement and the medical issue, but I had no idea that it was prohibitive in the sense that adult use, even though it passed, couldn't happen because of Congress. So I guess for me, my main takeaway is that, you know, the more we think about, yes, it's legal in every state, we have to realize, guys, that this is a federal, Ill, federally illegal substance. And if we're passionate about the industry, if we care about it, we really always have to get involved locally and federally because I just have to get on my high horse before I give it to you, Kristen. 280E and banking will not go away unless there is something that's happened with Congress or it's descheduled or rescheduled from a schedule one, two to a three, four, or five, or as we all want it to be descheduled and just regulated like, I think probably it's gonna be regulated more or less like alcohol right now. So that was my biggest takeaway, that we still have a lot of work to do and, but on the flip side, on the positive note, is that they're being creative. They're like, okay, you know what? So this is what the law says, but we're gonna work with the lawyers and figure out how we can not get around the law, but allow access for so many people given how the law is written. As in play their game, yeah. like they play the game. Mm -hmm. I knew DC was not a state. And I I mean, I knew DC was something. <laughs> um, I'm like in California, so it doesn't matter. No, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. Wait, before I even say that, like, I thought California was bad, but to be in D.C. has got to be really hard because you don't have any senators. Mm -hmm. Like, Congress rules everything. So Congress, which has so far, like, put in these little amendments from these random senators and then And minor it. tweaks to the budget. That's yeah. the thing is a lot of things I think we need to remember happen behind the books, right? Like, oh, a little update. I mean... That's politics, you know? But I mean, how horrible to be at literally the wrath of the federal government because you live with them. They're like your roommate, mm -hmm. you know? It's mm -hmm. totally different over here. Um, so I think, like you were saying, there are creative ways of doing it. Fight fire with fire, you know? Mm -hmm. And how stupid, like we have such a crazy budget deficit. And even in DC where no one's more aware of it than these people, they wouldn't figure out how to just tax the cannabis in D.C. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They're crazy. I know. I love California. I, I love progressive thought. And I think that was the coolest thing about interviewing him is that, you know, imagine realizing that and living there and be like, okay, well, what can I do? And, you know, he gets up every day for social justice. Like he's mentioned, if we didn't get the stats from him, but crime's gone down, arrests have gone down. So there's so much positive, but yeah, you have to be counting your blessings for where you live. And for all those people that don't live in a state where there is legal cannabis, we even had somebody reach out from Texas recently. Um, I think, I forget where, uh, oh, I'm so bad with my Midwest geography, but just a few states that still have not, you know, allowed legalization is like, let's work together. So if you are part of our Facebook group, definitely join it, Cannabis Business Minds, where we like to have the discussion, but the discussion also starts with you guys. Um, so hopefully you can join us on our Facebook group. Yes, absolutely, and thanks for joining us. Yep, and have a great day, evening, weekend, whatever time Morning. you're listening. Yes. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Kristen Yoder and Simone Similuka Ratsons. Produced and edited by Gustavo Volgach at East Venice Recording Studios. 
podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com, and you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.